Hi, everyone. Hey, y'all. Stay patient. Show I'm up. Show up. Yeah. Show, 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 show up. <laughs> Hello, my name is Sarah. I use they, them, she, her fluid pronouns. I want to start off again with positionality. I'll start with the definition this time. It is the social and political context that creates your identity in terms of race, class, gender, sexuality, and ability status. Your positionality describes how your identity influences and potentially biases your understanding and outlook of the world. And your positionality also affects, it's how, how you relate to the world and how the world and others relates to you. I have fluid pronouns. I identify as Black and queer and polyamorous. I identify as trans and neurodivergent, and I am college educated. So that is a little bit about me. I am so excited to have Christina, one of my favoriteest humans, on this episode, Christina, welcome. Who are you? Hey, I am Christina. I use she, her pronouns. I am white. Yeah. I have a background in social work and child development. I am the youngest of four siblings. I am an aunt. I, yeah, I'm a daughter. I don't know. And who are you to me? I am a bestie for the rest. <laughs> I am a friend. <laughs> I am a soul friend of Sarah's. Yes, you are. And maybe a few other people if you're lucky. <laughs> I'm so happy that you are here with us today. You are an important person in my life and you help me love myself every single day. And so who better to have on, on this podcast? To start off, I know you're a avid listener, so we're going to talk about Hook's definition of love and how it resonated with you. Hook's defines love as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. How does that resonate with you, Christina? It resonates with me because I think that the way that I have always thought about love is that love is more about the other person in the relationship, in the respect that the love that I have for other people and for those that are close and close in my, in my circle, the way that I love them is by supporting them in their life ventures and in their their life journeys, whatever the case may be, love is not self-serving, not to sound cheesy, like a bad Hallmark card, but it's not about fulfilling your own needs to sustain someone else's life. I am a firm believer that I don't think that we can love others to our, to their, to our fullest capacity when we don't have our own love for ourselves. But I also think that when we think about the concept of love, it is the least self-serving thing that there is because it is about, it's about complementing the other humans in the relationship mm -hmm. and doing, doing what you can to support them. What you said 
is right on track with who you are on a, as a person. You're a very generous, generous, loving spirit. And you, you can tell that you love people from a place of generosity because they deserve it rather than what it does for you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the whole thing with me is I know if my loved ones are not in a place where they are not feeling their best or they, for whatever the reason may be, whether it's just a day or, or a really challenging life moment. I think that in those moments when we can share, share love and share those moments of saying hey I'm with you I'm I'm here during this is really when there's one side of love that shows and then those other moments where it's the day-to-day that are the small moments in between that I don't think that a lot of people think about where you show up for each other and you and you share love in that way to help sustain that those those areas of growth for yourself and other people. And in previous episodes, we've talked about how love is an intentional practice rather mm-hmm. than this feeling, right? And so you you kind of spoke to that with the day-to-day of loving and showing up for people and meeting them where they're at, whatever their capacity is at any given point. I'm so excited to get into this conversation. I think you are the one who, like I had done Enneagram before, but you're the one who <laughs> got me back into it. Do you want to give a little brief overview, overview of what the Enneagram is? I feel like you could do that better than I could. The way that I describe it to people is it is a personality test. And from my understanding, it's the only personality test that really speaks true to our internal reactions to certain situations. There are so many different personality type quizzes, but they typically are all representative of one's outward reactions and how they're perceived by other people. And what I think is really cool and really powerful about the Enneagram is that it really speaks to how the person completing the test feels about a situation or life in general. So there is a I don't know if rating is the right word of one to nine. Each number is its own personality type. So yeah, that's that's a short little explanation. Yeah, that's great. And I agree with you. It's really cool how the Enneagram is broken down into different types. And it's all about what your motivations are. And I actually listened to this book about the Enneagram. And a couple of the key things that are different about the Enneagram is they most most research on the enneagram states that your number never changes and that's that's because it's so much based on your internal motivations that happen like from childhood to how you are now that's why i've fallen in love with it and it's really just shed a lot of light for me i thought it would be cool for us to talk about this because i'm a seven you're a six And we'll get more into what that means later. But we are both in the head triad. There's three different triads. There's the gut, the heart, and the head. And Christina and I are right alongside number five in the head triad, which means we're in our heads a lot. So we look through life through- The lucky ones. (laughs) We look through life through an intellectual lens and we're motivated by a need of security. And when that need isn't met, we often feel stressed or anxious. 
It's a great time. I wanted to share this quote that's on the head triad description. When you camp out in your head, you risk inaction and detachment from your heart and body. Folks in this triad tend to overthink. They have trouble making decisions. They camp out in their head and are constantly analyzing things. I feel like I've said this so many times, but I was excited to bring Christina to talk to this about this because we both share uh, a tendency to overthink and get anxious about things. We usually go to each other when we're overthinking and, and angsting about something and talk each other through it. For number seven, I am the enthusiast, which I'm sure folks would say resonates with who I am as a person. We are busy, fun-loving, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. Our basic fear is being is being deprived or in pain. And our basic desire is to be satisfied and content. Funnily enough, my wing is a six. So Christine and I have a lot in common. We think very similarly. We're motivated very similarly, which I think is why our friendship operates the way it does. And we're able to provide support for each other in such a way because we really do understand the motivations behind it and the, the processes behind it. Fear being the head triads core core thing. For me, how that shows up is I want to maintain freedom and happiness and avoid missing out on any kind of experiences. And I try to keep myself excited and occupied to avoid pain. We'll get more into that a little bit, but Christina, do you want to introduce your type? Like Sarah had said, I am a six and the six is known as the loyalist. So we are pretty security oriented and very committed to our relationships and really whatever the case may be. When we make a commitment, we follow through with it. We are, like the saying goes, you know, you're going down with the ship. That's usually how the loyalist is described, which is a really great thing when you're not on a great ship, but you're still... Still going down with them. Our basic fear is to be without support or guidance. And our basic desire is to have security and support. Let's see. What else What else should I say about the six? I wanted to ask how learning more about your Enneagram has helped you love yourself and show up for yourself. So I think that the Enneagram... Six is really known as the anxious type, which we've addressed. And while that certainly is true, (laughs) what I find really motivating behind the Enneagram is that its main purpose is to be used as a self-growth tool. The Enneagram has helped me love myself because it's really helped me put a name to a lot of the neuroses that I have Mm -hmm. um, and be like, oh my gosh, it's not just me. While some of them certainly are just me, um, I, it was as a psych major, you you complete like basically every single type of personality test under the sun. There are certainly things that I have resonated with the Briggs Myers and whatever other ones that I've done, but this really put a name to the things that I was experiencing and then gave me a direction because there's also like when you get deep into the Enneagram, there's these ideas of when you're your healthiest number. So when I'm my healthiest six, I go more towards nine tendencies. And when I'm in, in my unhealthy behaviors and, and 
healthy and unhealthy are definitely like operative words here. And that just kind of means like based on your state of mind. Like if you're, for me, if I'm anxious or I'm not. So if I'm super anxious and I'm like in a period of time, um, then I go more towards three tendencies. When I say healthy, I mean, when I'm at my best, I have a lot of tendencies of a nine. And when I'm not at my best, I have a lot of tendencies of a three. To answer your question of how the Enneagram has helped me love myself is that it has helped me identify certain things in my life, acknowledge that it's okay, and really think about, okay, I can go somewhere from this. I don't just have to be this anxious hot mess who really just foresees pretty much any problem before it comes. Uh, and already has a plan of how to fix it. There's a lot of moments in my life where I think, mainly my childhood, I can totally think about how that was like my at my best and at my nine, right? There's so many tendencies of, oh, I used to be that way when I was a child and then lived through life's trauma. That was great. What a time. So that is... (laughs) how it has helped me love myself it's helped me find a name for a lot of the things that I experience and then think of a way for me to grow with it the Enneagram has helped me be more aware and identify my behaviors and my habits I didn't realize (laughs) this is going to sound hysterical But I didn't realize I was an anxious person. Like, I didn't know that I was an anxious person. For the longest time, I was like, no, I'm not really anxious. Like, I have depression, but I don't really get anxious. I don't worry a lot. Over the last couple of years, I realized that I, I've also, I think, gotten more anxious. But I realized that I am an anxious person. And figuring out that the basis of all of my anxiety and, like, really any any issues that come up are fear. It's like this persistent fear, whether it's fear of abandonment or fear of like messing up or fear of not getting the love that I want or need, fear of not being enough. It's all fear related. And so the Enneagram helped me put a name to that. But kind of as you were mentioning, as far as our healthy and our unhealthy, it's It's helped me recognize when I'm in those habits, because when I'm unhealthy and anxious and stressed, I go towards a one. And so what that looks like is ones tend to be really more structured and rigid, not like as a broad sweeping scopes, but that's how it shows up unhealthy for me. And so I'm making a lot of to-do lists. I'm trying to control everything around me. I'm trying to be a perfectionist. That's how my anxiety shows up. And sure enough, every morning is when I'm the most anxious for the day, especially with the pandemic and just having like working from home and things like that. I start my morning making like three to do three to do lists. That's how it shows up for me. So it's been helpful to to be able to identify that. And then once I recognize that I am operating that way, I'm able to slow down a little bit. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is for me, this tendency to overthink things and camp out in my head is really, is really an avoidance tactic for me to not deal with my feelings. I overthink to avoid my feelings and just run from them 
as far away as I can. And you mentioned you think through every worst case scenario and already have a plan. It's like, if I can think my way through this, then I won't have to have any of the feelings that might come up. Everything is an equation. Everything is an equation that can be solved with numbers. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it's like, again, it, it talked about detaching from your heart and body. And it's like, no, if I can intellectualize and rationalize this thing, then I won't have to deal with sadness or anger or any of those other feelings. I remember when I was learning about the Enneagram and when I came across that quote, because I've also read it before. And like four and a half years ago, my family was you know, going through some stuff. My dad was sick. And I remember I had just come home. I had just graduated from college and I was very young. I finished early. So I like felt like I was just very underprepared for graduating college. And I remember telling a friend of mine when I was super anxious, I feel Like I am caught between either, depending on where my mood is, I either need to run as fast as I physically can to try to get my heart to match the pace of where my mind is at, Mm -hmm. or I had to bring myself to go to a yoga class where I could make my mind slow down to match my heart. It was all about finding the synchrony between my mind and my heart because Mm -hmm. it was so unmatched. Mm -hmm. And then I read this quote and I was like, oh, that's what I've been trying to do for like the last three years. Mm -hmm. It like really put a name to that separation of mind from your body and your body from your mind. Mm Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I've been working on emotional regulation and therapy for since the summer. (laughs) LOL. It's a lifelong, it's going to take me a while, but (laughs) since really since, since March, I'm trying to think if it was before then, but I'd been, I've been trying to connect more to nature and connect more to my body. And it's just been this daily realization of how disconnected my mind, body, and and heart have been. And so kind of what you were mentioning about running or yoga, I I do this, I do very similar things where, and I think that's why the with this pandemic, my anxiety and depression has been so, so feeling unmanageable because all my old coping mechanisms, I can't, I can't use them. I either keep myself so busy, right? I'm scheduled back to back. I, I have always had at least two jobs and now I'm doing like two jobs in grad school, right? So my schedule is so packed. I'm running from one thing to the next. I don't really do physical exercise. So it's the actual movement of my body being busy from one place to another place, from one person to another person. Like even on the weekends, I would schedule my friends back to back. Like I'm going to go see this friend and then I'm gonna go see this friend. And so like, there's no downtime, right? Or I completely shut down. So <laughs> I'll just crawl into my bed and turn my phone off and not feel anything because kind of what you were saying, my mind is going so quickly. I'm trying to intellectualize all these things, but I also don't want to feel 
all the feelings, right? It's usually sadness that I'm avoiding. And that sadness comes from that fear and, and that fear being realized, <laughs> like that fear happening, right? Like your fear coming true. It's your worst nightmare. And, and when it does come true and, and as someone who's anxious, it can come true as like you jumping to a false conclusion or you misinterpreting things or you messing up on something, or it could actually just come, come true, which it happens. And, and then you're just fucking, you're devastated and you're like, I can't be sad. Then I have to slow down. And, um, and it's hard to get all of those three things in alignment Yeah, that really resonates with me. We have very similar coping mechanisms. I know for sixes, we try to build safety in our environment in order to avoid or without resolving their emotional insecurities. Mm-hmm. In May, I just graduated from grad school and I I had like an insane schedule for two and a half years. I was commuting downtown I would leave in the morning and then I would take the 7, 7.15 train downtown and then I would get back in the train parking lot at 11 o'clock at night because I would go from work to school and then I, you know, was nannying as well and trying to work on the weekends doing whatever I could. And then not only did the pandemic hit, but so in March we switched to virtual classes and then in May, I was done with school and I transitioned to my job full time. And I felt like I was really in this moment of being like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> now I have to deal with all of the things that I have been straight up avoiding by overscheduling myself for the last two and a half years. And now I have to accept that all of those other things weren't always the issue. I'm also the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I mean, it's a part of life. So, I mean, you know, I, I can't beat myself up too much about it. But I guess when you're not allowed to leave your house, it, it's a great time to really confront yourself. <laughs> the best time I guess <laughs> yeah it's really great time um, yeah so yeah and yeah uh yeah I know and that that totally resonates with me you said you try to find safety in your environment and so for seven the enthusiast I am chasing the next great thing right I'm chasing happiness and excitement and new things because that is what's going to keep me from being sad or or down or or whatever for me it is jumping into new projects and jumping into new people and jumping into new relationships and starting a podcast (laughs) to fill the time it's chasing it's constantly running and I was reading this thing and it was talking about how for a seven it's like it's it's looking for the greener grass like when you're on a trip and you're already planning your next trip because you you just have to know that in the future there's going to be freedom and happiness and good things coming very similarly it 
when the pandemic hit, everything slowed down and my freedom was out the window. Like I didn't have a lot of control over very, very many things. My circle got so much smaller of where I was going, what things could be new for me. I was first to confront all the things that I had been avoiding, as you had mentioned. And I, I know folks, I feel like folks for the most part know that I moved to Boise, got a new job, and then I just moved home. The other day I was talking to my therapist and I was like, I don't understand why I'm sad. Like I have a house, I live by myself, I'm safe. I'm in a safe environment. My friends are showing up for me the best way they can. I'm doing things, I'm doing good things with my time. I just don't understand why I'm still so fucking sad. And my therapist was like, well, you've been avoiding your feelings for a long time. And so now your (laughs) your body is, is, is experiencing them and you're going to have to process and acknowledge all the feelings you've been avoiding. I was like, fuck, like Mm -hmm. avoidance has been my tactic since I can remember. I just wrote a paper and I started avoiding in fu- at fucking 12. I'm sure it was before that. So I'm like, homegirl has 26 years worth of, of processing to do. <laughs> I remember I saw that meme and it was about zodiac signs and it was cancer's emotional response. And it said a theater marquee with, I don't want to talk about it, blinking. <laughs> I read it to my mom and she was like oh does someone know you <laughs> but it's so interesting it's so interesting how this similar behavior can represent different things for each of us mm-hmm. because I really do thrive no I don't thrive I crave spontaneity and change and all of these things which at face value, you would think a type six doesn't want change. A type six wants the same thing, you know, to stay. From the Enneagram, I learned that my desire for spontaneity and my desire for change came from my lack of belief things could remain how they are. Mm. Um, It was really a tactic of this will never, it's impossible for this to live through its fruition so I'm going to change it before it has an opportunity to like change on me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah which is really great when you're in your 20s and trying to meet people and be in a relationship it's great <laughs> <laughs> well it's so funny um, to say that because that totally resonates for me as a seven but it's the FOMO that shows up I have trouble being present in the moment because I'm like this moment is not going to be as great as the moment before, or I don't want this moment to end. And I know when it ends, I'm going to be sad. And so I have trouble. You're talking about spontaneity and change. And I, I keep moving through moments and chasing new moments because I don't, I have trouble sitting in the one because I know it's going to end. I know this is going to end. So I might as well rush through it to get to the next good moment. Yeah. So Fear and anxiety. How do you, I don't know, how do you deal with your, how do you, how do you be gentle and kind in with yourself and your anxious moments? Can I let you know when I start being 
<laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Just let me think about it. I'm kind of kidding. It's a process. I guess it how, is do you, a process. how do you do it now? It doesn't have to be perfect. How do you how do you handle your anxiety now? You're really about something. Like how how does that show up for you? How does it show up? Mm-hmm instigates it and then what's your thought process self-doubt of like my and not necessarily an insecurity my self-doubt whether it be something that I do at work that like I know that I can do Mm -hmm. but I will question myself about it Mm -hmm. and it shows up in self-doubt for sure and I would even say that it shows up in self-doubt in romantic relationships So do you think that self-doubt is like, if I mess up on this, or if I don't do this right, or if I can't do this, then I will no longer have security and support? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know if I can answer that because in, I mean, it depends on the scenario that we're talking about, but in a lot of situations in terms of, That's a good question. Um, I'm just curious because you said like self-doubt is is how your anxiety shows up for you and yeah. anxiety being tied to like yes. your as an Enneagram. So I'm just curious. Yes. Yeah, because I, I absolutely do. Even when I think about my approach to college and especially when my dad was sick and I knew that time was not going to be on our side. I feel like I was doing a lot of things in my personal life to try and do all of these things. I knew that my dad was part of me, that my mom was part of me. And I, you know, I knew all of these things, but I still felt like I had to do more. And whatever I was doing was not enough. And I, I just remember, you know, I was looking like four jobs and I was up at five and my dad was making me breakfast. and. He was just like, what are you doing this for? And first of all, you made me this way because you never turned down. Um, You like, not so much like, why are you working? But why are you killing yourself to try to get these things done? And I think at the root of it, I was very fearful that like within our time, I was not going to, I was going to lose that security and support while I still had the opportunity to have it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what I, what it's making me think of is I know for me and just thinking about fear and anxiety, when you're operating from a place of fear and anxiousness, it's this mindset of scarcity. One of the books I was reading was talking about each, each Enneagram's deadliest sin and mine is glutton and not for the way that you would think, but it's, it's this mindset of scarcity of there's never going to be enough. What I'm hearing you saying is like more, 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 the more I do, the more I can do and prepare and like perform and do well, the more good things I can add to this, to this, whatever, the better strengthened my, my support, my security will be for me for when I get really anxious or I'm operating from fear. It's like, the more, the more good things I can stack up on, the more new things I can, and good feelings I can, 
I can be in or, or chase, then I, I will be able to maintain that freedom and happiness that I, I crave and that satisfaction that I crave. But like that scarcity mindset of never enough, you're never, nothing's ever going to be good enough. That's why you keep running. You keep killing yourself because it's like you're chasing, you're trying to fill a a bottomless pit. (laughs) It's a great, great, um, great way to describe it. Yeah, I, I think that describes it perfectly. So that's how it shows up for myself. Good time. (laughs) I think I'd say the way that I show myself kindness during those times is I have been trying to get better at self-talk at being like, no, like this is fine. I also think I do that by reaching out to others like you to, like you said, like calling each other. And I remember we were having a conversation the other day, we were texting and you were talking to me about something. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And you were like, okay, well, why are you acting like you don't think about this? <laughs> like, you don't think like this. <laughs> so I'd say that building that secure environment around me has certainly helped myself show myself kindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So my anxiety shows up as catastrophizing. What if through my own, I've been in therapy forever. <laughs> so through, through my own therapy and trauma work, and I've recently been confronting it is the core of my feelings of fear are abandonment and feelings of unworthiness because of my childhood trauma. I think for me, my anxiety shows up and my anxiousness shows up of like, if I, I don't know, I overthink things, I get overwhelmed and it shows up as me imagining the worst case scenario and then kind of blaming myself for it. I don't know, like you boiled it down to self-doubt. I would, it's, it's just, it's this rampant insecurity, but I'm, for the most part, I'm like, people perceive me as really confident. And so then I'm ashamed of being insecure. And so this is, it's like this wild spiral that I like make myself feel bad about my, like feel bad about feeling insecure. And like, intellectually, I know that I'm, I'm capable of something or whatever, but my body begs to differ or like my mind begs to differ. Right. Or I'm like, well, what if you perceived it differently or da, 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 da. And so I guess kind of going along with you, as far as showing myself kindness is I've been really leaning into affirmations. One of the things that I've been really practicing is, is validating my fears. And so I'll write down everything I'm angsting about. I have to write down or talk out everything I'm worrying about, right? So I'm trying to think of a recent example. Okay, so I've been angsting about the future and like my future job, right? And so it's like, I will no longer be able to work at Boise State in July. And so it's like, what happens if come July, like I have no job, I have no money, (laughs) I lose my house, right? that's how it shows up for me. What I do then is I, I write down all the fears of like, what if you don't have a job? What if you can't get hired anywhere? What if you don't get into a PhD program and just kind of like write down all of those things. And then I practice telling myself something else, like validating those emotions. That fear is valid. It comes from a valid place. You don't 
you need, you want security, you crave security. And it's shown up like those, those feelings of fear, these things have happened to you before, right? Like you failed before you've lost things before. And so validating that those fears come from a valid place. And then I work on affirming myself kind of like I had shared in a previous episode is like mistakes are okay they are your teachers or you told me one the other day you're allowed to want those things you're allowed to wonder about those things so just like giving myself permission to have the thoughts and feelings that I'm having and then I'm able to break it down and so that the kindness part has been sharing that with other people in my life because I tend to hide that I'm insecure and I don't show that to people. I'm so blessed to have you in my life because it's been sometimes some weeks it's a daily call of so Christina I'm really sad and anxious here's all the things I'm anxious about and you validating me and telling me my feelings are valid and then helping me break it down so it's more manageable. Having someone to trust that you're not going to judge me or think any less of me or know the truth that I'm a fucking insecure mess. (laughs) That's been crucial. Allowing myself to be vulnerable and really honest with the people in my life. Love ya. I love you. So that's a little bit into the Enneagram for anyone listening. I know for me, it's been fun because there's all, it's really good at telling you like your strengths and there's really fun Instagram accounts and affirmations and things like that, but it can also read you for filth. And it's like, these are your areas of growth and uh, places where you struggle you have to balance it out of, cause I tend to, you know, overthinker. I'm like, these are all my areas of growth. These are all the things I have to work on right now. Like, so I can be the best person ever. <laughs> there was one, oh gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. It literally, like you said, read me for felt where I was just like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> that is enough from you. The only other thing that I would have to add to anyone that is getting into the Enneagram or really is just like anywhere in life, just remember that you do have strengths. I think that there's a tendency, especially like during when doing these things, you know, discussing about like, oh yeah, it told me about my strengths and it also did X, Y, and Z about all of the reasons why I'm fucked in the head. And it's really important to just do that positive self-talk. Yes. Yes. Our final question, my favorite one, there's two. How do you stay patient with yourself and show up for yourself? Or what has someone in your life taught you about loving yourself? What I have learned is that showing up for yourself is loving yourself. I show up for myself by loving myself. And I have learned that that's really critical in a lot of life's moments. What does that look like for you, loving yourself? Honoring what I'm going through and honoring my needs, that like I can have my needs met. I can ask to have my, whatever the case may be, I can vocalize those mm-hmm. and validating those things. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's difficult. That's the hardest thing. <laughs> we have so many messages from all areas that were not valid in our emotions or where we're at or whatever. Yeah. I'd say that's probably the largest is in giving myself time to relax. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what I have also learned in quarantine. I mean, I can't chalk it up to my own, to my own self growth. I can really only chalk it up to having no other option. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, the level in which I, the speed in which I lived is completely different now than before March. And it's been really important for me to, for me to acknowledge that and view that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as something that wasn't problematic. Right. Yeah. Yes. I would agree. My life has changed a lot since March as everyone's. This week I've been really practicing. So I try to journal every morning and tune into my emotions and then affirm myself. This week I've been really trying to practice listening to my body. Like Friday, I had a really back-to-back day and all of it was full of things I didn't want to do. And I was so tired. And I actually talked to you on the phone that day and you were like, is there anything you can do for yourself today? Can you make time for that? And I was like, no, I can't. Like, I can't do it. You know, if I recall, I don't think I posted as a question. I think I, uh, I think I said, um, I feel like there might be, you know, a few minutes that you could carve out for yourself. What do you think about that? (laughs) Yeah. And I was very adamant that it was not possible, but my body said otherwise. So five o'clock rolled around and I had, plan to go out and do some earning some more money, second job type thing. And my, I was exhausted. I was falling asleep and I was like, well, that's, I can't drive my car. It's not gonna happen. And so I ended up making myself a cup of tea and just like sitting in bed and watching TV. And I was like, okay, I am allowed to rest. I'm allowed to rest. And the thing that I thought I needed to do so urgently was something that I was able to do the next day. I've been trying to listen to my body and and meet myself where I'm at and kind of what I think like what you're saying just giving myself permission to to rest and to slow down and I'm thankful that I have friends who (laughs) encourage me to do so (laughs) likewise I there's certainly been plenty of moments in which you've done the same for me I love you a lot. Thanks for being here and being honest and vulnerable with me. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It was such an honor. I feel like such a celebrity. Uh, you are. Um, I really, you know, I enjoy and appreciate beyond words our time together and our conversations. I firmly believe that the areas in which I have grown would not be possible without pals like you. So thank you. And thank you for creating this space for so many people to join in and share their experiences. Of course, you are most welcome. I love you a whole lot. I love you.
Thanks for listening. Stay patient. Show up.